friends around the world, brethren, and welcome to all our guests. Uh, we're glad to have you visit here in Charlotte, and thank you for the special music. You are the way, the truth, and the life, uh, John 14, 6. On March 6, 2017, I was working in my office at the headquarters building here in Charlotte, and I experienced a stroke. He called uh, Mr. Weston and Dr. Douglas Winnale and others came in to anoint me, and they called 911, and uh, Mr. Dexter Wakefield was in the ambulance with me as we went to the hospital, and I was there two days and uh, two nights. They did a lot of tests and found out that I had a stroke, and it partially paralyzed uh, my right side, and I had slurred speech. They also found that I had uh, atrial fibrillation, which is where the uh, two upper chambers of the heart uh, pump into the two lower chambers, and then that blood goes into the body from there. But the two upper chambers with atrial fibrillation pump a little more fast, and sometimes it will produce a blood clot that will go up to the brain, which it did in my case and cause a stroke. Well, I'm thankful for... Of uh, the year and a half that's passed, many prayers, and I uh, feel a lot much better and uh, doing much better. Uh, my uh, blood pressure just a couple hours ago was 119 over 76 uh, with my heart rate at 57. So I hope your hearts are beating as well. Many years ago, when uh, we were at Big Sandy, Texas, uh, Dr. Kenneth Cooper wrote this book called Aerobics, and he had studied with over thousands and thousands of Air Force cadets and determined that one of the major critical keys for real health is the ability of the body to circulate blood, which means oxygen and energy, to all parts of the body. And he also worked with people that had heart problems and many other problems. He said this exercise program helped those who were uh, some with diabetes, some with ulcers, some with lung ailments, some with arthritis, but many with cardiovascular conditions ranging from rheumatoid fever, high blood pressure, congenital heart disease, and rhythm irregularities to outright uh, coronaries. Needless to say, all were required to have clearance from their physicians. In fact, most were sent uh, to us by their physician. And he gave stories about people that had heart conditions and uh, were blessed and uh, helped by this exercise program. In fact, our ambassador students uh, use his program. It's called the 12-minute uh, test, where you run around a track for 12 minutes and just see how far you can run and then a exercise program is designed based on uh, the results. Our students did that for uh, quite a few years through the late 80s and uh, the early 90s. Well, the other problem or the other solution to a heart problems sometimes even is a heart transplant. And uh, so there are major heart issues. We have some of our brethren here in the audience who are dealing with heart issues as well. But the main advice is for preventing heart problems is to control your blood pressure with healthy diet, uh, with stress management, and with uh, regular exercise. 
the CDC, uh, Centers for Disease Control in the United States, says that the number one disease problem in the United States is heart disease. Uh, secondly is cancer. Uh, thirdly is chronic lower respiratory uh, disease. And of those three account for 50% of all the deaths in the United States. But I want to ask you today, how healthy is your heart? Uh, the Bible has uh, much to say about the heart. In fact, the word heart appears in the Bible over 700 times. Uh, we can't cover all 700 examples a day, but we'll try to hit some uh, highlights. So how healthy is your heart? Do you, what kind of a heart do you have? Do you have a hard heart, pure heart, faithful heart, a broken heart, maybe a thankful heart, a repentant heart, sincere heart, a sensitive heart, or a loving heart? How would you describe your heart? We need to avoid the dangers of hardened hearts. But let's take a look at Isaiah, the sixth chapter, and we'll get an idea of some of the descriptions of the spiritual condition of the heart. The title of the sermon today is How Healthy Is Your Heart? We'll cover the average or common heart of human beings. We'll look at some biblical examples of a godly heart and we'll discuss characteristics of a godly heart. Is your heart fat? Isaiah, the sixth chapter and verse nine. Isaiah six and verse nine. He said, go and tell me this. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. The King James Version has, make the heart of this people fat. So do you have a fat heart? Do you have a dull heart? And their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. God is not calling many people today. They are blinded. He said he's going to blind Israel in Romans, the 11th chapter. But God has given us an understanding heart. And return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitation, with inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The eternal has removed men from away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And here, by the way, is a prophetic announcement of what's going to happen to Israel because of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. How many of Israelites are going to remain alive through the great tribulation. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be consuming. As a tabernacle tree and as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. So there will be some remaining. But what kind of a heart do you have? Do you have an understanding heart? This is quoted by Jesus in Matthew 13 and uh, verse 25. I turn to Psalm 119, another description of the heart. Psalm 119 and verse 70. I just came across this by chance the other day when I was reading in Psalm 119, but I thought it was very descriptive. Psalm 119 and verse 70. Verse 70. 
Well, we'll start with uh, verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. We'll come back to this uh, later on, and we'll see this whole theme of the wholeheartedness. Their heart is fat as grease. What an amazing description that is. Their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in your law. What kind of a heart do you have? The NIV says their hearts are callous and unfeeling. The idea of a greasy heart. NRSV, their hearts are fat and gross, but I delight in your law. The RSV, their heart is gross like fat, but I delight in your law. So we see the antidote for a greasy, fatty heart is to delight in God's law, which means we spend time reading God's Bible, meditating on it. But what does the heart really symbolize? The Holman Bible Dictionary says the heart represents, quote, the center of physical, mental, and spiritual life of humans. The physical, mental, and spiritual life of humans. The NIV Study Bible said the heart is symbolic, quote, of one's being, including mind, will, and emotions. I asked my wife, what does the heart symbolize? And she said, the heart represents the true intent and feelings of the real you. And I thought her answer was better than even the NIV Study Bible or the Holman Bible Dictionary. Yes, the heart symbolically in the Bible represents the real you. We have a sermon which you heard uh, about a month ago or a year ago, I guess, your identity and your calling. It gives you the biblical responsibilities of the real you. The heart is symbolic of the one's being, including mind, will, and emotions. And what makes us unique from all other life forms on earth? How much are you worth? Now, years ago, I remember reading an article about the chemical composition of the body, and you count up the value of those chemicals, and it was like $2. Well, I went online today and found out that it's more. We are more valuable than $2 now. The Mayo Clinic estimates if you take the chemicals of the human body, the nitrogen, phosphate, calcium, and so forth, um, that you are worth, you and I are worth $4.50 from a chemical perspective. So our value has gone up the past uh, 100 years or so a little bit. Uh, The skin is worth $3.50, and the combined value of all the other chemicals is just worth a dollar. But, of course, what are you really worth? You know, you are priceless because God sent his son to shed his blood for you, and he calls it the priceless blood of Christ there in First Peter. So you are very valuable. From a physical point of view, you're only worth $4.50, but a spiritual point of view, you're priceless. But the other question is, what is the real value of a human life, physically speaking? Mr. Armstrong 
address that question in the Mystery of the Ages book, page 105. What is the real value of a human life? Quote, the real value of a human life then lies solely within the human spirit combined with a human brain. It should be stated at once that this human spirit is not perceived by the most highly educated psychologists, yet it is the very essence of the human mind. So what constitutes you? What is the real you? What makes you valuable from a physical human perspective is the human spirit in human beings. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And Job also referred to the spirited man, the human spirit. So animals do not have the human spirit. And it's amazing that even though Scientific American is writing from an evolutionary point of view, this is the September current issue, September 2018, Scientific American, humans, why we are unlike any other species on the planet. And I'll just read you uh, some of the uh, sections here. Uh, The origin of morality, alone in the Milky Way, why we are the most likely the only intelligent civilization in the galaxy. So they're beginning to see such differences between humans and animal. Uh, The science, this is on page 50, the science of consciousness provides no easy way of finding out. Even worse is the hard problem of consciousness. How does subjective experience arise from the objective brain activity? How can physical neurons, with all their chemical and electronical communications, create the feelings of pain, the glorious uh, red of the sunset, or the taste of a fine claret? This is a problem of dualism. How can mind arise from matter? Indeed, does it? This is a question they've not been able to solve for years. When I was working on my master's degree in communications, even the professor, that was back in 1977, was even asking the question, what is the human mind? And Mr. Armstrong answers that question in his, in his book, Mystery of the Ages, because it is the answer is that the human brain combined with the human spirit equals human mind power. Dr. Meredith used to talk about the creative powers of uh, human beings. Uh, Mr. Armstrong continues a mystery of the ages on page 108. The human spirit empowers the human brain and with intellect, with ability to acquire knowledge, to think, reason, make decision, produce attitudes of good or evil. Human and animal brain are alike. Human mind superiority comes not from superior brain, but from the presence of human spirit within the human brain. Animal brain is supplied with instinct, not intellect. So here we have scientific American from an evolutionary point of view still trying to understand the matter of the human mind even though recognizing that we are unique and they can't understand the matter of consciousness. We understand the matter of consciousness. 
But he goes on to say here, not just only are we different from animals, but then God goes on to say in verse 12, now we have received, well, well, back in verse 11, even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So we have the animal world, which is instinct and doesn't understand the creative powers and language and ability of uh, human mind power. But then human beings don't understand the things of God unless they have the Spirit of God. So he goes on to say in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us of God. And verse 10 tells us, back in verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So God has given human beings the potential, of course, of being born into his very family. The heart is symbolic of the real you. In essence, you're defined by your human mind. Brain plus human spirit equals human mind. But you became a new creation when you were baptized and you received God's Holy Spirit and you became a newly begotten daughter or son of the Almighty. Now, that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters. But now, what is the average human heart like? We already saw the one case. It's like grease. It's dull. Uh, it's uh, coarse. It's uh, hardened, maybe. But what is the average human heart? Uh, you ask any of our students, you know, what is the human heart like? What's the answer? Go to Jeremiah 17.9, right? Let's turn there to Jeremiah 17.9. The world doesn't understand human nature and where it comes from. Satan has influenced the human mind and, and the nature of human beings. So children have a certain degree of growth before they come to an age of accountability and where they can under, really understand the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and we teach them that difference. But here in Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the eternal, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. The NIV says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The NRSV says the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Uh, who can understand it? Uh, the New King James Version has, the margin has incurably sick. So, well, that's, that's your condition. It was my condition uh, before we converted. We were converted. We still have human nature and a whole lifetime of process of replacing human nature with divine nature through God's Spirit and through overcoming. What did Jesus say about the natural heart? Turn to Matthew, the 15th chapter. Matthew 15. What is the human heart like? 
Matthew 15, a little mark here. Matthew 15 and uh, verse 19. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Uh, turn over to uh, a couple pages back, Matthew, the 12th chapter. That's the natural heart. Matthew 12, and uh, start with verse 34. Matthew 12, starting with verse 34. Talking to the Pharisees, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We've had many sermons on language and uh, communication and speaking the truth and love. But what is your heart like? Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. Verse 35, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. So if you're spending your time with pornography, you are feeding your heart, so to speak, with evil things. And you need to feed your heart with good things. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things, an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle world that you may speak, they will be account, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So how you speak gives an indication of the spiritual condition of your heart. The Israelites did not have spiritual hearts. The Apostle Paul comments on them in Hebrews, the third chapter. Turn to Hebrews, the third chapter. What kind of a heart did they have? Hebrews 3, starting with uh, verse 7. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So, brethren, this is a warning to us today. If you will hear his voice, and my sheep hear hear his voice, he said in John 10, 37, I believe it is, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. They saw God's blessings. And we've had people in God's church who've been healed miraculously and have forgotten it and then just gone away, just slid away into Netherland. They didn't remember God's works in their own life. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, 
Beware, brethren. Listen today. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, which we're doing today, while it is called today. Yes, this dispensation, this period of time, this end time, is the time you've been called. The time you are being trained as kings and priests for the future. And you need to give it your all with your whole heart. But exhort one another daily while it is called a day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we behold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We hold that beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But what kind of a heart do you have? Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set to in them to do evil. So even we see when children are not corrected, they will have some problems. In fact, I just reading the, earlier this morning, uh, Dr. Fall's booklet on successful parenting God's way and pages 11 and 12 on uh, self-control. We'll maybe comment on that later on. And how children need to be taught self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, of course. But we need to make sure that we are corrected, guided, and doing God's will. And that we not have hearts that are set to do evil. We want God's correction to set us on the straight path so we don't go astray. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Shows you what kind of a heart God wants us to have. Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. He was just bemoaning, if I could use that word, the characteristics of the hardened hearts of the Israelites. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. What kind of a heart did God want? One that was responsive to him. One that would love him and keep his commandments and have that godly fear, that reverence, and that awe of who the reality of who and what God is. I won't turn there, but my wife was mentioning this at breakfast this morning, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. So we not only need to avoid our hardening of our hearts, but we need to keep it. And that is, we need to understand that what is symbolized by the heart, the will, the mind, the thoughts, the character, the being of what you really are, to keep it because it is the out of it spring the issues of life. What is the? What are the issues of life? God's revelation from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, His purpose, and why we are 
called to become his children, eventually be born into his family, and to be married to Christ as the church. Matthew 3 and verse 16. Well, let's go uh, before we do that. Uh, we're still in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, let's turn back to Deuteronomy 4 and uh, verse 29. Talking about those who are in a captivity, we had uh, Mr. Wallace Smith's uh, telecast on Dive into Prophecy, giving the four purposes of Bible prophecy, one of which is that when the gospel is preached as a witness, that when people do not change in this day and age, they will remember and repent during captivity. And this is brought out in this verse, talking about those who are in captivity. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29, But from there you will seek the eternal your God, and you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, but you turn to the eternal your God and obey his voice. So we need to continually seek God with all our heart and with all our soul. So don't wait until the great tribulation. Now is the time. It's always time to be wholehearted. Your human nature and my human nature is characterized and symbolized by a faulty heart, an unhealthy spiritual heart. The common heart is deceitful beyond cure. We have serious warnings to avoid a hard heart, a disobedient, an unresponsive heart we need to avoid. We must always be wholehearted, totally dedicated in our worship and service of God. Next, let's take a look at who in the Bible was God pleased with, who would have a heart that God would be pleased with. Well, of course, uh, Jesus Christ was one in whom God was well pleased. John, the third chapter, Matthew, the third chapter, that Jesus' baptism, Matthew, the third chapter, Matthew 3 and verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We had a sermon on, Are You Pleasing God? God wants us to be sons and daughters who are pleasing to him. So Jesus Christ was one who pleased God. Who else? Turn to Acts, the 13th chapter. I think some of you already know who this is. Acts, the 13th chapter. Remember, Saul was the first king, and God was not pleased with him. So he removed him. That is, remove Saul. So Acts 13, verse 22. And when he, God, had removed him, that is, King Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. 
Now, I think I've, I've read this, you know, dozens and dozens of times, but it just struck me. God's own heart. So he uses a heart even symbolic of his nature and the real reality of who God is. But he said, David will do everything after my own heart who will do all my will. So the kind of heart you want is the kind of heart David had who will do all my will, as God said. So not only was Christ pleasing to God, but also was King David. And, of course, when he was being selected back in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, I won't won't turn there, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, the eternal, looks at the heart. So when they were choosing the process of all Jesse's sons, they all thought, oh, well, the, the more handsome, the tallest, the strongest would have been chosen. But God told through Samuel, no, the Lord looks on the heart. Now, some self-justifying people have used that phrase uh, to say, oh, well, uh, the your correction you're giving me isn't, isn't uh, valid, but God knows my heart. Well, yes, God knows your heart, and you're deceiving your heart sometimes. But make sure that you want to have the same attitude David did, and what was that attitude? Psalm 51.10. We'll turn there perhaps later. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The NIV says in Psalm 51.10, Create me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What kind of a heart did David have? A heart that was willing to respond to God's will and to do all God's will. And he prayed for a clean heart, prayed for a pure heart. And in Psalm 51, it was a repentant heart. Someone else also pleased God by his heart. That's Nathaniel. Let's turn to John, the first chapter. John, the first chapter. This is quite a, I say novel, a unique comment made about anyone. Perhaps you know some people who had had this kind of a heart. John 1 and... Uh, You know the story, starting in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. John 1, verse 46. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Philip said, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, John 1, 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Or the King James Version, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus said, answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So here is the one who, a man who had a heart that was not guile. The NIV says, In whom there is nothing false. 
So what kind of a heart do you have? You really appreciate people who have a, a Nathaniel-type heart, who has no guile, who has uh, no deceit, and uh, who, uh, in whom is no deceit or guile. So we need to strive as men and women to be like Christ, who pleased him, who pleased his father, to strive to be a man or a woman uh, who was a man after God's own heart, who will do all of God's will. We need to pray for a clean heart and an attitude of purity and truth. In the remainder of the sermon, I want to give you ten characteristics of a godly heart, a healthy spiritual heart. And each of these starts off with the statement, a person with a godly heart. A person with a godly heart, number one, is sincere. A person with a godly heart, number one, is sincere. That is, without guile and deceit, like Nathaniel. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, 1 Corinthians 5. And uh, here we have the lessons of the days of unleavened bread. That we need a sincere, pure heart, one that is not double-minded, as James warned us about in uh, James, the fourth chapter. But here in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the lessons of the days of unleavened bread, starting with verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. They are only unleavened physically because they were puffed up, as it says in verse 2. So they weren't unleavened spiritually. They were puffed up. They were unleavened physically. For instance, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, verse 8, let us keep the feast. Again, a New Testament command to a Gentile church to keep one of God's annual festivals, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God wants us to have a sincere heart. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Starting with verse 3. But I fear lest someone as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So we need to have that sincere heart, as the RSV says, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So we need to have that sincerity of heart, that simplicity of heart, and make sure that we are following and responding to God with a pure and whole heart. Turn to uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians 6 and uh, verse 5. Ephesians 6, verse 5. He gives us instructions on uh, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Ephesians 6, verse 5, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Well, 
we're probably not many bond servants here, but you are perhaps employees of a company where you have a, a supervisor and you need to be responsive to that supervisor. I was a bond servant when I was in the military. Uh, you are bond servants then in the military. And he says here, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. And I think I told you the story before when I was working, uh, I'd been a transportation engineer and went out to Ambassador College and I was working in the transportation department, uh, washing automobiles. And, uh, you know, I uh, was kind of slacking one day and Bill Evans was the uh, supervisor and I noticed when he came around, I saw him, oh, I better get to work, and started, you know, vigorously and uh, energetically washing the automobile that I was responsible for. And I, oh, it really came to mind, oh, who am I working for? You know, these automobiles are in Christ's service. I need to always work as if I'm serving Christ, not just Bill Evans, as my supervisor. Sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as a bond servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So a person with a godly heart is sincere. Matthew 5, verse 8, is uh, one that we could just quote, but I think we need to really actually turn to it and read it so we really get the uh, biofeedback and have it impressed on our minds. We've quoted the scripture before and mentioned how uh, David prayed to have a pure heart. But Matthew 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we need that sincere and that pure heart, because when we do, we'll eventually see God. Mr. Darrell Weston addressed the uh, living education students in the Thursday assembly uh, Thursday morning, and he was emphasizing to the students to develop a culture of purity and to recapture true values. So all of us as God's church, we represent the bride that is spotless because Christ is continually cleaning us up, correcting us, so we can be a a bride with the beautiful, pure, white linen, uh, symbolic of righteousness when we marry Christ. But pray that you can have a pure heart. And then the reward, of course, is eventually that we will see God. A person with a godly heart, number one, is sincere. A person with a godly heart, number two, has singleness of purpose. Has singleness of purpose or exemplifies singleness of purpose. Matthew 6, verse 22. How purposeful are you? Are you applying the seven laws of success? Number one, law of success. Fix the right goal. You have purpose in your life. It's not meaningless. It's not hopeless, as we heard in the sermonette. You become hopeless when you lose sight of the goal. 
and lose sight of the commitment you made to achieve that goal. Matthew 6 and verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore your eye is good. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. No, you need to seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Your eye has got to be single. You've got to have that whole purpose, be purposeful, that you're going to worship God, you're going to seek him, you're going to serve him with the whole heart. Turn back to uh, Psalm, Psalm 9. We'll take a look at some of the Psalms and look at the expression, uh, my whole heart. Psalm 9 and verse 1. Well, I've got some highlighted here in my Bible, and we'll just read a few of those examples of serving God with your whole heart. You're going to have a singleness of purpose. Psalm 9 and verse 1. I will praise you, O Eternal, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. Now, brethren, one of the points I hope that you get from the sermon today is to examine yourself with regard to your heart. Is it whole, or do you have half-hearted effort? In other words, what degree of commitment and energy... Are you putting into your heart or service and worship of God? Is it wholehearted or is it half-hearted? Now, when you read through the Psalms, you see David time and time again saying he's going to praise him with a whole heart. There's no, no uh, plan B in this. There's, there's no escape door. It's a total commitment that he's giving. Turn to uh, Psalm 1, uh, 111. Psalm 111. So there are several sections here in the Psalms where the expression, my whole heart, is emphasized. Mainly, of course, from King David. Psalm 111. And uh, you can find that. Psalm 11, verse 1. I will praise the Eternal with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Psalm 119. There are several in Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. So what are the distractions of our modern age? We've had many sermonettes and sermons warning us about the distractions of social media and all other kinds of entertainment and distractions. Do you have that priority of the first thing you do? Of course, you may have other physical needs, but I know for years I was able somehow, because of my health, just to roll out of bed on my knees and pray my first half hour um, on my knees. Now, I can't do that now, but I did for years. What is the priority you have in life? 
Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Verse 58. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is fat as grease, as we read earlier, but I delight in your law. We, uh, verse 145, Psalm 119, verse 145. I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O eternal. Well, I had back pain back in Rancho Bernardo many years ago. I mean, it was excruciating pain. And I was yelling out to God to to heal me and intervene. I didn't just, I mean, yelled loudly. I I wasn't praising God at that moment. I was imploring God. I was beseeching God to heal me. And my wife would bring me a... Oh, the uh, little ice packs, and I would lie on the ice pack for a while, and and then that ice pack would warm up. And I, she was in another part of the house, and I had a a pan and a spoon, and I bang on that pan, and she'd come and get me a new ice pack out of the a freezer, and then take that one and put it in the freezer. But uh, thankfully, uh, one time uh, I told that story before. I was I was in bed and I could not even get out. Well, I tried to go to the restroom, but I couldn't even crawl. And Dr. Meredith came over that Friday afternoon and anointed me about noontime, and I went to sleep. And later on, I, I kind of woke up and was able to sit up in the bed. And I said, "Am I feeling any pain? No. I wonder if I can just." Get over and sit up on the bed? Yes. Can I even get up and walk? Wow, yes. And I couldn't even crawl uh, three hours earlier. So God did intervene. But there are times when we cry out to him with our, with our whole heart, in this case uh, for my pain, but in David's case in worship. In Psalm 138, one of my favorite hymns in our, our hymnal, Actually, back in 1963, when I was a, my first and second year of an ambassador to college, that, that uh, became my favorite hymn and still is to this day in our hymnal. It's page 93, Psalm 138. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praise to you. You think of the time when we were all in God's kingdom and with in the God family, and we're kings and priests ruling with Jesus Christ, and we will hear him singing, as it says in Hebrews, the second chapter, that he will sing before his brethren, meaning us, when we're born into the kingdom. Before the gods, I will sing praise to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Yes, I will praise you with my whole heart. So number two, A godly heart, a person with a godly heart, has singleness of purpose. Number three, a person with a godly heart thinks right thoughts. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Are you thinking right thoughts all the time? Well, that doesn't mean you're going to have 
temptations as Christ did. He had wrong thoughts come into his mind. What a the most horrible and most blasphemous thought that came into Christ's mind was Satan saying, bow down and worship me. You can't have any worse thought come into mind. And I told you the story before when I was a bachelor that working as a transportation engineer and not uh, no church to attend at that time in 1961 and 62, and Satan was putting wrong thoughts into my mind. Well, how can I get rid of those thoughts? By replacing wrong thoughts with right thoughts. And Mr. Armstrong used to say, we want to get air out of a bottle, put water into the bottle to expel the air. And you put right thoughts into your mind to get wrong thoughts out. So it doesn't mean that Satan isn't going to put wrong thoughts into your mind as it did with Christ. But Christ immediately countered that bad thought with a thought, you shall worship the eternal your God and him only shall you serve. He had the right thoughts to counteract. He had the sword of the Spirit to the Word of God, and that's what we need as well. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Well, starting with verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing in every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your own your obedience is fulfilled. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's a struggle. It's a battle. And we are in a war. And we have to be Christian soldiers who are battling and we're thinking right thoughts. We already saw in Matthew 15:19 that the common heart, out of the heart, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. That's the common thought. But we need the godly thought that will think right thoughts. And, of course, that means Philippians 4, verse 8, if you've not memorized it. When I had those blasphemous thoughts coming to my mind as a, a bachelor in 1962 or so, I had to memorize Philippians 4, 8 to replace the bad thoughts with God's thoughts. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That was the King James Version I memorized back then. So you meditate on those things. You put God's right thoughts into your mind. That doesn't mean, again, that you're not creative. We recapture true values. God is a creator. And many of you are creative. I, I like to be creative in writing poems and shared some of those with you before. Even as a teenager, I did some oil painting and, and in college. I like to be creative. And when you're thinking right thoughts, you still can be creative. You can build. You can be an artist. You can write literature and poetry. You can do all things that are creative, but they must be on the standards of God's true word. They're based on the foundation of the commandments of loving God, loving neighbor, but you can still recapture true values. The word of God is the foundation of all knowledge. Number three, a person with godly heart thinks right thoughts. Number four, a person with a godly heart is loyal, has a loyal heart. He's loyal to Christ. Let's turn to James 
uh, the fourth chapter, James, fourth chapter. Verse 1, where do wars and fights come among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Part of your prayer, the ability to give. Father, give me the ability to help someone, to give to someone, to even give more in the Holy Day offerings that are coming up here a week from Monday. You thank God for the truth. You thank God for the Holy Day plan and its festivals. Uh, My wife and I will be going to Fort Lauderdale, Florida uh, next Friday and for the Trumpets weekend. Uh, We're looking forward to that. But God reveals a plan through his Holy Days, and we're thankful for that. But... uh, we don't ask a greedy gimme. No, you can ask for your needs. You certainly do. Philippians 4.19. About God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But he says you ask because you want to spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever there makes, uh, therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Who are you loyal to? Loyal to the world or you're loyal to God and to Christ? A person with a godly heart is loyal to God and loyal to Christ. I won't turn there, but the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 3, verse Chapter 6 and verse 3 and chapter 10, verse 12. I always love that section because it's a love story uh, between the Shulamite and the unseen shepherd who is symbolic of Christ. In the first case, she says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. My beloved is mine, and I am his. It shows again a different loyalty, but she changes the order of the pronouns and back in uh, chapter uh, 10 and verse 12 instead of saying my my beloved is mine she says I am my beloved's and he is mine I uh, hesitate to tell the story again but it was a day of atonement 1965 when one of our ladies was dying of cancer and uh, we had, I think, 30 different women helping her there in Cincinnati area. And uh, she was kind of a, a, I say, aggressive. Maybe that's a little uh, strong word for her. But she was a kind of one who would say to her husband, Buddy, you belong to me, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And I felt I had to say something to her because uh, in all her pain, she never shed any tears. And I said, Mrs. Smith, her name was well, a Mrs. Smith. I, you haven't shed any tears, and I, I, you really need to think about humbling yourself before God. And anyway, she before she died, she died I think on the Day of Atonement, and uh, her husband she called him over to him, 
and uh, had the husband uh, pick her up in a sitting position. And she said to him, before it would have been, buddy, you belong to me. And with tears in her eyes, say, I belong to you, to her husband. I think she learned some great lessons just before she died, some character lessons. We belong to Christ, and he says, and he belongs to us as well. But we want to again be loyal to the bridegroom, because we are engaged as the church. So a person with a godly heart is loyal. I won't turn there, but in Second Chronicles 19, verse 9, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. You shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. Second Chronicles 19.9. We know the first commandment, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we heard in the sermonette, we have to stir up hope. You stir up hope when you worship God, when you stir yourself up to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Mark, the the 12th chapter, around verse... Number four, a person with a godly heart is loyal to Christ. Number five, a person with a godly heart practices godly love. I'm going to have to move along a little quickly here. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Verse four, love suffers long. Are you long-suffering? You would have thought it would have been patient, as the NIV and others have love as patient, but it's still long-suffering gets that sense that you suffer long. <laughs> you deal with aggressive, insulting people. You suffer long sometimes, or you still are patient. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Again, what kind of thoughts? Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. A person with a godly heart practices godly love. We'll, uh, I won't turn there, but Matthew... 5 verses 44 through 48. You've heard the said of old times, you will love your neighbor, hate, hate your enemy and love your neighbor. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those that spitefully use you and bless those that abuse you and so forth. So if you're going to have a godly law heart, you need a love that even loves your enemies. Do you ever pray for an enemy? I do. Every Every night I'm praying for it. I hope you do. Christ intervened for you when you were his enemy. As it says in Romans 5 and verse 10, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. 
So a person with a godly heart practices godly love. He's, again, going to be kind. He's going to be not be judgmental. And he's going to be serving and being a light. A person with a godly heart, number five, practices godly love and loves the brethren. Of course, as Jesus said, Love, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's John 13, verses 34 and 35. And First Peter 1, verse 22, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Number five, a person with a godly heart has a loving heart and loves the brethren. Number six, a person with a godly heart is forgiving, patient, compassionate, and thankful. That could have a statement for all four of those. Forgiving, patient, compassionate, and thankful. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And he goes on to say, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, verse 15, to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So, Even in this section, we find that we have to be compassionate, forgiving, and thankful, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. So Christ taught us to forgive one another. He said in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I know of cases in which church members have held grudges and grudges, and it's gone on year after year after year. And the person would not forgive the offense that brought about the grudge. I mentioned one sermon years ago about the book by Dr. Paul Meyer, Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You. He talked, he dealt with people with depression who had been abused, and because of their abuse, they've been depressed for years and years. He writes in his book, page 170, A patient can be depressed for many years. Then forgive the one who caused his repressed anger and totally recover from depression because his serotonin has been restored naturally and the brain is able to work correctly. And I know the one case, this person who had that deep-seated grudge for many years did finally forgive and finally had a more peaceful disposition of mind, if I could put it that way. On page 152, he states that deep-seated anger can lower your serotonin level and cause clinical depression. 
Forgiving others can produce peace of mind. You need a thankful heart. Uh, Dr. Uh, Scott, when I gave the sermon, the power of gratitude. And do you have a thankful heart is one of our sermons as well. This is a book back in, uh, I guess, the 60s, Type A Behavior in Your Heart, that has to do with our attitude of being patient, being self-controlled. Uh, Luke 21, verse 19, for example, says, By your patience possess your soul. Type A behavior is characterized this way, as he writes in the book. Type A behavior pattern is an action-emotion complex that can be observed in any person who is aggressively involved in a chronic, incessant struggle to achieve more and more in less and less time, and if required to do so against the opposing efforts of other things or other persons. Type A behavior in your heart. He points out that people can have be smoking, have all other kinds of physical problems, but if they have type A behavior, which is what I had, I just had, I, I, I'm drive, 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 and I only have so much time, and I didn't be in control of myself. Type B personality is one that realizes, yes, you set goals, but you aren't stressed because you have to get more done in less time. And so one lesson I'll share with you that took me more than 50 years to learn and that was, I've been applying it the last couple of years, be cool at all times. That's one of my, my personal lessons. And I'll, it took me 50 years to learn. I hope it doesn't take that long for you to learn. But it can produce diseased hearts if you have that type A personality and a whole book written on it uh, by Rosenman and Friedman. So don't let your heart be troubled. Someone gave me a little post-it note. I think he or she was thinking I was going to give the sermon. Uh, John 14, 7. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So number seven, a person with a godly heart. I'm sorry, that, that's uh, number six. A person with a godly heart is forgiving, patient, compassionate, and thankful. Number seven, a person with a godly heart has a repentant heart. 1 John 1 and verse 8. 1 John 1 and verse 8. God gives us wonderful promises. John says, I write unto you, little children, that you sin not. Well, we always sin. But what does he say when you do sin? 1 John 1. And verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need that repentant heart. In Psalm 51, we already read, well, I'll just read it, read it to you. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. David prays, verse 2, Psalm 51, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just 
when you speak and blameless when you judge. You and I need a repentant heart and need that right up to the coming of Jesus Christ at the last trumpet. So make sure, brethren, you are retaining and maintaining a repentant heart. Number seven. I mean, yes, number seven. Number eight. A godly heart, a person with a godly heart, lives each day by faith. Romans 10:17. So when faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Then Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart, you're exemplifying faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I've told you how many times my wife says, we're going out shopping. Well, let's pray before we go. Okay. Pray and ask God to bless the shopping and he blessed the shopping. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he will direct your paths. Number eight, a person with a godly heart lives each day by faith. Number nine, a person with a godly heart seeks God's will. Matthew 6.10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a sermon by that title, your will be done. I think that was a few months ago. And we read Acts 13.22, that David was a man after God's own heart who will do all my will. A person with a godly heart, number nine, seeks God's will. Number ten, a man and a woman with a godly heart loves God's work. Number ten, John 4.24. My meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Mr. Armstrong wrote in a co-worker letter, August 28, 1967, local church attendance is not enough. Mr. Armstrong writes, <clears throat> and I repeat again, in 33 and a half years of this work, I have noticed that those who grow spiritually are those whose hearts and interest are in the work, God's work. And those who individually fell away, lost out, were those who were interested only in their own personal spiritual development and had no interest in getting the gospel to the world. So we want to have our hearts in God's work, and I'm sure we've exhorted you many times to do that, and we appreciate that. Hope you've responded to Mr. Weston's August 22nd uh, co-worker letter, I encourage you to do that. Put a dollar in the envelope to showing that you're responsive, or I'm not saying limit it to a dollar. I mean, you give a little more than that if you'd like and uh, help God's work to go forward. But the key is responsiveness to God's work. You're keeping up with the telecast and the magazine and the, Mr. Weston's uh, telecast in Spanish 2018 and beyond just passed a million views this past week. So God is blessing his work. We heard in uh, Mr. McNair's announcement that we've had 26,000 people attend the Tomorrow's World presentations. So be praying for God's work. The heart is symbolic of the real you and your character. How we present ourselves is important. 
But it's the inward beauty of the heart, as it says in 1 Peter 3, 4. Let it rather be the hidden person of the heart. So we look forward to the time when we will see Christ face to face. When he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for we shall see God. The heart is symbolic of the real you. Are you half-hearted or are you whole-hearted? Be sure, brethren, that you're praying, as David did, create me a clean heart and renew a right spirit from within me. And when you read the lesson of John, the seventh chapter, the last great day of the feast, Jesus said, out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking of the spirit. So pray to God that out of your heart, the real you will flow rivers of living water and loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, loving your neighbors yourself, bearing the fruits of God's Spirit, fulfilling God's work and God's will, and be wholehearted in all that you do and think and say and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ with a healthy spiritual heart. Let's develop a loving, forgiving, purposeful, thankful, and faithful hearts because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.